listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 229 and 230. Choo-choo. Choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo. We are chugging. We are. Chugging right through the Bible in a year, talking about it, chapter by chapter. It's pretty amazing. It is. I wouldn't say, because I wanted to say, um, I used to, growing up, I'd hear pastors say, we're going verse by verse, and it was like the highest value a preacher could do is go verse by verse, uh-huh. word by word. Yeah. And we're going chapter by chapter. Yes. Yeah. Let's be it's real. Let's be real. <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah, we're aiming for uh, the oral tradition. We're, we're trying to get the forest to not get lost in the trees. Right, yeah. Yeah, because there are a lot of trees, and every tree is beautiful. <laughs> and if we were going verse by verse, this would be—we uh, would have had to start when we were like seven years old, and then we would have realized by the time we're seventy that we really messed up and butchered the first two thirds of the Bible. <laughs> All right, which is kind of a harsh reality most of us have to live with. All right, playing in for the Old Testament. You butchered <laughs> most of the Bible. But that's okay. I'm sorry, Lord. Our Old Testament reading for today is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11 through chapter 9, and Song of Solomon's chapter 1 through chapter 4. 2 Chron. Yes. As we refer to it affectionately here in the studios of Fed by Ravens. Woo! Uh, we are wrapping up the reign of Solomon. Reign of Solomon. So we just talked about the glorious um, consummation of the relationship between uh, God and his people in the temple. Yes. So the, the, help, the most helpful way for me to think about it, and this will be a theme I think that goes actually throughout t- the entire episode today, Yes. is God has gone out of his way mm-hmm. to court, to uh, commit to, to love, to provide for his beautiful bride, the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. And he's raised up King David, and now... Solomon is the king of all kings, and he's ushered in and finished building the home. And God literally, almost, almost literally, um, the old idea of picking up your bride. Yes. You get married, you go home, you carry her across the threshold into her new home, and where you're going to live together with each other in holy matrimony, wedlock forever Mm -hmm. and ever. And so you see God saying, I am carrying you all across the threshold of my dwelling place, this beautiful, magnificent temple. And he's going to do it in all the familiar ways, fire, cloud. And then he'll even speak to Solomon. He will. Saying, uh, and I I cannot get over these verses. I know I'm skipping. I'm kind of going all over today's reading. Should I slow down? Maybe. I just can't. Well, uh, you can't hear it enough. God says, I'm going to put my eyes and my ears Mm -hmm. And my name, and he's already said it a couple times, but the intimacy with which God of the universe will be with the people of Israel and setting up Solomon, the king, which is a representative for all the people. Yeah. It's beautiful. So, yeah, so we, we get the uh, fire from heaven consumes uh, Solomon's sacrifice, offering up to God after his prayer of dedication, and then they continue to dedicate the temple, consecrate its halls, its courts, and then they continue the uh, festival of booths by having yeah. a week, like week-long feast right. for the people. And, and then 
This is an 800-year courtship, by the way. Yeah. 400 this is, years. This is insane. And even more than that, I mean, 1,200 if you go back to Abraham. Mm-hmm. So you got 400 years in Egypt, 400 years from the Exodus to this point. Yes. And then we get the Lord showing up to Solomon in a dream yeah. and answering his prayer mm-hmm. and going almost line by line to be like, yes, I will hear you mm-hmm. when you pray to this temple. And one, one of my favorite lines is... Verse 12, chapter 7? Uh, is that it? No. no. Okay, never mind. No, but if it's verse 12, there. if you like that... Well, I just found the ifs and the buts yes. in this section. Oh, interesting. There's if and buts. Mm-hmm. If you humble yourself mm-hmm. and pray and seek and turn to the Lord, I will hear, forgive, and heal. Yes. And so for me, one of the is number 14. Yeah. It's right around. Where it says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin mm. and heal their land. Man. The land, the third character. I know. It's land, it's your heart, it's forgiveness, yeah. it's all there. I love it. Even before Christ. I love it. And this idea, like this very real idea that even Solomon was connecting to, because this was part of his prayer, was he understood that our sin affects the land. I know. And our, and not only just one another and our relationship with God, but also the, our relationship to the land. And the Lord is like, if you repent, if you humble yourselves and you turn from this, I will restore a relationship between you and me. I will restore a relationship between yourselves, and I will restore a relationship to the land. And you think about how base the relationship to land is, not in our culture, because we're kind of far from the land. Yes. If we're not farmers. Yes. But the base relationship is, look, if you take care of the land, it will work for you. Mm-hmm. If you do not, you will, it will not produce the crops or the, f- the food that you need. Yes. It's plain and simple. And so, like, the, even the idea of laws of God saying, if you turn to me, it's just like the land. It's mm-hmm. the most basic thing. Like, if you plant seeds and you water them and you fight off animals, you build little walls and you, you do whatever you have to do and you prune correctly, you will get this. If you turn to me and humble yourselves and pray and seek, and turn, you will produce a crop of everlasting, glorious life. Yeah, and so I feel like in chapter 7, God is kind of reestablishing and re-summing up his covenant with Israel in uh, Deuteronomy, where mm-hmm. they go back and yeah. forth about the blessings and the curses. He kind of just re-sums them all up and says, if you are with me, if you even just repent, like, yeah. live in this cycle of repentance, I'll be with you and I'll do, I will bless you. But if you turn from me and don't repent, you will be exiled yeah. And I think, um, like, a lot of people will say, like, well, he foresaw their exile. And reading it and understanding how close God is and he's in this relational uh, right. community, he is he's just recognizing and being very honest, like, no, apart from me, you guys are you guys will get exiled. That's just what happens. Right. (laughs) That's just going to happen. Because see, the if and buts are not, um, God is so gracious, it's not like if you screw up, you'll never produce or have anything good. It's just turn to me and Mm -hmm. I will give you things you don't deserve. Right. Whereas the laws of nature are, no, sorry, you're going to maybe starve this winter, Mm -hmm. even though you really feel bad about it. There is no forgiveness with the earth, but there is with God. And so that's the difference with that relationship. And he says, but if you forsake me, and the beauty is there's free will. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what I think he knows. You have free will and he knows the realities of the world and the flesh and the devil. And he's doing everything he can to make provisions for that winter of the soul, you know, and say, here's very simply, hang on to me. And I will, uh, because I am the God over all these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just carry it out to the idea that when Paul, the apostle Paul is saying, you are the temple of God, how mind blowing that is. Yeah. Like, just take that in for a second. That God would tabernacle, you know, in a tent in Jesus Christ so that he can dwell in us. God, we can meet God wherever and however, well, not however, we come in the name of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and we meet with the God of the universe. It, mind-blowing, and it should be, and this is a mind-blowing passage that's really reliving for the uh, returning exiles, what happened in Kings mm-hmm. under the reign of Solomon. Well, then chapter 8 goes into, it took him... 20 years to build. So half of his reign was building this temple. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So chapter eight is just kind of going through all of his accomplishments and all of his building projects. And, and it's just, again, highlighting these amazing success and prosperity and fertility that he had because he was the son of David, the King of Kings set up, uh, under God's rule. And he was, blessed and taking his rule seriously and that the house of the lord is complete then you get this like little highlight of in chapter nine it's to um just to give a snippet of just how established solomon was on the earth yes not even just as the leader of god's people no and so the queen of sheba shows up and she finds out that he's not just an oblivious king who has a bunch of people who run things for him, mm-hmm. but he understands every system. He understands yes. like how things work down to uh, how we politically work and how we run our own little country and how we judge things, you mm-hmm. know, because we remember from Kings the wisdom of Solomon, like cut the baby in half kind of stuff. Yeah. And so she sees, wow, you are, that's what I, th- I see the Queen of Sheba going. She, in fact, she prays something similar to Hiram of Tyre, which is, mm-hmm. blessed be the Lord your God. Again, you have these outside kings blessing the God of Israel, not because they're worshiping the God, but they're just going, whoa, your God has set you up and put you over all this, and uh, you guys are amazing. Yes. Yeah, and so they uh, create like a sweet treaty where Mm -hmm. she's like bringing in spices that they never have, they never had access to, and again, everything just from all fronts is working out, and this is even like a small story to show like even other rulers are coming and submitting to his wisdom and authority and recognizing you really are the greatest king of our time. Yeah, at the end of chapter 9, I mean, it talks about how rich he is. Oh, I, before I get to what the other kings thought, mm-hmm. did you catch his, um, his throne and his footstool and it's like made oh, with- of ivory? And then it's covered in gold, but then the six steps that lead up to it, and each side of the steps has a lion. lion. So like the, the 12, 12 tribes yeah. are leading up to the kid. It's so cool. Like, yeah, oh, but then man. it's also a lion because it's the lion of Judah, and that's the Where, sigil of Judah. And that's the scepter shall not depart, depart from, from Judah. Judah. I mm-hmm. mean, it's so great. But then it goes on about how Solomon was greater than all the kings on earth. And mm-hmm. it, there's a line, I think it's verse 23, he was the king of kings, and they all sought his wisdom. So he ruled over all the kings, 
And I think there's even a list somewhere. Uh, yeah, he ruled over the kings from Euphrates to the land of Philistines and the border of Egypt. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole center part of the known world yes. is ruled by a leader that God has established that recognizes God as the universe and these people are going to follow his words and worship him in a very intimate way in a specific place. Um, But it just made me think of the king of kings and how Jesus actually is the son of David. And like I was saying to you earlier, I think about, I always thought of Jesus as like the next David. But really, the proper way to think about it is he's the next Solomon. Yes, He's the king of kings. Every king on earth will bow their knee and confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord, and they will sit at his throne, either willingly or unwillingly, at at the appointed time, and go, you are all wise, and you are truly the king, Jesus. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty great. And then we get the wrap-up of Solomon's life, and that uh, Rehoboam, his son, is uh, replacing him. Yeah. And then we stop there in Chronicles and jump to another book written by Solomon, which, again, is pretty brilliant uh, to kind of cap his reign. And so now we're switching over to the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. Mm -hmm. And it is this is something that he... Traditionally, it's recognized as something he wrote at the beginning of his reign. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, First of all, the reading the reading program we're using mm-hmm. was written by, do you remember the guy's name? We give him props, but it's the creator of uh, this kind of evangelistic thing called Alpha. Anyway, it's really great. Uh, we'll have it listed. Gimble. It's the one where, yeah, Gimbal, Nikki, Nikki Gimbal. Yeah, something like that. But he, brilliant, because what he did was he broke up the end of, well, the beginning of Chronicles, he broke it up with Ecclesiastes, which is the end of Solomon's life, going, hey, I've lived through everything. Here's all my wisdom. Yes. And then as we end the Chronicler's um, kind of testimony of Solomon, we go back to this book of Song of Solomon, which I thought was funny. When I, I remember studying this book in seminary, and the one thing I remember is that you couldn't read this book until you'd, you'd had your bar mitzvah. You were 13. Oh, yeah. Because it's... It has like it at first glance. It's like almost it's really too like, sensual to like be in the Bible. Literature. Yeah, it's like erotic literature. But you have to look through it. And so I guess as we get into Solomon, Song of Solomon now, mm-hmm. recognizing yeah, it can sound sensual, but there's a tension between the sensuality and the beauty of humans uh, with with the idea of commitment and marriage. Yeah, and so I do want to say kind of a setup of how to read this book. Like when you're going through this book and how we're going to frame it, uh, it's very important to kind of have like context and what's going on yeah. and what what Sub-sub. what is the story. And so at a, at a bare minimum, the story that I can kind of tell, it's almost like a classic Disney story yeah. where Solomon's this young up-and-coming king. He is doing all these building projects up in the north of the kingdom, up in northern Israel. He's building out all these cities. He's, he's harvesting things. And he's, he's great. And while he's out there, he sees this commoner mm-hmm. who's working out in a vineyard. She's um, not of royal descent. She is, has to work because her family is like n- making her work because they don't have enough money to hire servants. So they're like... You're going to work the field for us. Now, we get all this from the description a couple times mm-hmm. that uh, my skin is 
it is brown as the tents of Kedur or whatever, yes. you know, like, and so the idea is uh, tan skin means you're a laborer. Yes. And, and so, so, who, you know, you're not in any position to even imagine you're going to be in the royal courts. Right. Yeah. So she's like, what was what it? Uh, Princess Diana or whatever. Di- What's the... Are you talking about whales right now? The yeah. Prince of whales? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. Anyways, but it was like a big thing when... Yeah, the, princess die. Yeah. So uh, he sees her, and she's going, I'm a commoner. Why, why would you love me? But then all of the language that he's using to describe her is all royal-based, because he sees her with, like, you, you are worth loving. Yeah. And which is kind of how God sees us. And we're going, why should you love us? Our proper response to God should always be... I don't understand why you love us. And he's going, no, this is why. Because I see you through Jesus. Yeah. And you are royal to me. He's like, I see your eyes and they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. And she's like, for why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? What am I? Yeah. Now, Now, the other thing to keep in mind is this is not a linear story. No. A lot of poetic literature and a lot of ancient literature is cyclical and Mm -hmm. so it's running through cycles of the three basic themes which is courtship wedding and the consummation of the wedding when you carry the bride across the threshold Mm -hmm. and so it's just running through those three themes and it's kind of cycling through stuff another little side note this is purely my Mm -hmm. own thought and interpretation of some of the stuff but whenever it's from the girl's perspective and she's uh, and it's like starting off, and she's in a bed. Yeah, I think she's having a dream or a nightmare of oh. things because it takes on a very dream quality. Okay. And she's like trying to find her. Uh, she's trying to find Solomon. She can never find him. Anyways, just a few helpful. So things. the cyclical, yeah, I like the when you understand it's like it goes from they're married, then it goes to their courtship, mm-hmm. then it goes to their wedding day. Then it goes to the consummation, which is the sexual union, mm-hmm. because we know marriage is when the two become one. Yes. And so very literally, physically and spiritually, you're becoming one. And so um, you just have to figure out which part of the cycle you're in. Yeah. But the overarching, and I think this is basically all we yeah. need to say today, this is becomes a beautiful book when you realize we are, and we've already said this, but we are the bride, Mm -hmm. that God, who is royal and way above us, has found us working in our fields, and he has doted on us, and he has sought after us, and we are just going, what are we? Mm -hmm. But more than that, it describes the joy that God finds in us. He thinks we're beautiful. He thinks we're wonderful. He will make us into what we need to be, and doesn't just leave us where he finds us. And so it's the other arching, overarching idea is that most definitely... This kind of um, committed relationship, it finds expression properly and within marriage. Yes. That God commits to us forever. And so that's one of the reasons we, as Christians, we are not, we don't uh, partake in sexual activity outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. Because it's all pointing back to the commitment that God has for us. And yes. so we're able, by his help, to commit to one another and you find its full expression of commitment in procreation and in mm-hmm. joy and in, in beauty and all the sensual stuff. It is perfect within marriage. And you'll see over and over again in this book the line that says, yes. um, don't open this up too early. Like, don't start inciting these kinds of sensual thoughts. Uh, yeah, do not awaken love until it pleases is kind of the, right. the bride's refrain as don't 
open yourself up to this sort of love until you're ready to commit. Yeah. Right. So it it is a consuming fire and because it is like a very like passionate song. Yeah. And they're like head over heels for one another. That's the other thing. This, this was all written to be sung. Yes. So like there is a powerful, I think Luther says, uh, Martin Luther says, um, next to theology, music is its companion. Yes. That there's something sweet to the ears with music. And so the words of God are often coupled with music. And so this, these would be songs mm-hmm. that are sung. That's why it's called the Song of Solomon. Now, there's so many great little verses. Um, I know we're kind of yeah. already t- going uh, too long here with this section, but there's little ideas about little foxes mm-hmm. protecting, building a wall around your vineyard. Mm-hmm. And again, this talking about little foxes opening up these kinds of lusts for other people will destroy this great commitment, yes. this great thing you're working on and, and enjoying. But then I just love going through this book. And if you ever don't know what to say to your wife, you can find so many great verses, Matt. <laughs> like you just give her this reference. Say, oh, hey, baby, here's how I feel today. Song of Solomon, chapter three, verse seven. She looks it up. What is he up to? And then it says, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. It's like, oh. Like, there's so many great lines. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to be... Cre- As a Christian, you're even set up with being smooth and loving towards one another, of course, within your commitment of marriage. Right. But the, the best part about this is God's templed in us. Yes. We are his bride, and we know Paul breaks this down. I mean, mm-hmm. he's saying, look, we are the bride of Christ. He has pursued us and sought us and cleansed us in baptism and washed us and made us beautiful. So stop feeling... Uh, like, oh, I'm too bad, I'm this or that, and realize, no, man, you are the th- person that God wants to be with the rest of his life. Woo, all found, right. I found my other. Right. Yeah. For the first time, it feels like... That's happy music. Not this is, super bluesy. Yeah, this is... Yeah, you're yeah. kind of happy, you're walking away, it's a little bit of like... All right. We did it! Seventh heaven. <laughs> making stuff up here we go let's uh move on to our new testament for today our new testament reading for today is first corinthians chapter 11 verse 2 through chapter 12 verse 26 all right so we find ourselves in the middle of some of the more confusing chapters historically historically confusing um so in and so so here's the broad here's the broad kind of um, so here's the chapters we're covering today in a, in a nutshell, right? To mm-hmm. whet our appetite and prepare mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. We got hats for women in church. Okay. Hats Long for hair women. for men. Um, we got divisions about the Lord's Supper. We have the, this, we have this passage is where it's like the Lord's Supper can actually bring judgment. Some of yes. you are sick yes. because you're taking the Lord's Supper wrongly. And then we're going to end today with a little sprinkle of What's going on with spiritual gifts? I know. So you, I mean, in this, these small couple, not like 11 and 12, you got kind of big issues uh, of dispute among denominations, among Christians in the church. And uh, we're going to, we're going to attempt to solve this problem, all the problems of the world, Christian world in the next five minutes, Uh, because I think we can, Matt. I think, okay. So again, I have only ever heard these passages and read these passages 
out of their context. In isolation. In right. isolation. They've always been talked about. Even these chapters mm-hmm. have always been pulled out, and you only address that chap- that part of the chapter within uh, a conversation, but never within the context of this letter, which is, again, talking about the unity of the church of Corinth. Right. So the big miracle here is not, oh, I'm just saved so that I can have a good life. The big miracle Paul is referring to is that we are going to be operating as one unified body of Christ. Jew and Gentile. Can you believe it? Man and woman. Yes. Slave and servant. Child and parent. Like, can you believe it? And so he's been kind of running through that theme, but then he's now been, the last couple chapters, has been taking time to address specific questions that obviously have been uh, proposed to him in a letter. Yes. So he's answering all these questions, and uh, now remember... Corinth is is, nuts. is a, a crazy town that has 12 temples to uh, other gods. 12 other gods. And the way they worship is usually through temple prostitutes who are the spiritual authorities in this town who you have sexual union with yeah. f- to gain the blessing of whatever god the temple represents. Well... I was preaching through Ephesians. Yes. And Paul literally says, don't be drunk with wine, be drunk with the Holy Spirit. Because in these worship services, alcohol was, the lights were Mm -hmm. low, there was feasting, you're eating too much, you're drinking too much, and then you're uh, having sex with the temple prostitutes too much. And or, or at all, at all, and um, and so he, Paul actually says, no, no, the spirit of God makes us drunk. So we end up doing things we didn't know. We what did I do last night? Instead of like, oh, what did I do last night? You're like, what was I saying yesterday at church? Oh, you were saying how you want to give your money to God and how you you were singing beautiful songs and mm-hmm. you were laughing and that's just not like you all week. Oh, I must have been drunk with the spirit. And Paul's like, right, be drunk with the spirit. Yes. Don't partake of things done in the dark. This is your new life. Yes, but. Can I, verse 3 in chapter 11, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. That's kind of pivotal. It's easy to miss because we're getting so specific. Mm -hmm. But again, Paul is saying the submission is not one of superiority and inferiority. It is of roles. And so, I mean, he, he sandwiches this with, all we see is what? The wife is the head, the husband is the head of the wife, but read, it's sandwiched between the head of every man is Christ. Mm-hmm. The head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So you got Christ is the head of man, and God is the head of Christ because there's roles to be played. Yes, and that's what we're going to get to by the end of this section. But that mm-hmm. helps guide us through. Do you wear hats? Do you have long hair? Because we have a guy in our church with long hair, and if I just read this in isolation, I'd be like, "Hey, Wimberly, you got to cut that hair. Man. It's a disgrace." <laughs> Call out to Wimberly. All right, and, and women need to start wearing hats because we're not wearing hats. Yes. Okay. Yes. Get to it, buddy. So this is insane because this has been a like, I have gone to churches where this has been like firmly practiced because Paul says it. Because women have to wear hats. It's, it's in, in the, the Bible, Bible. Right. and so. Break it down. You got to get down to what the culture is doing and what he's trying to tell them. He's like, look, uh, within our culture, within the current city you are in, women who have their hair down and are prophesying or saying spiritual things are prostitutes, are the temple prostitutes. Those are the women that are doing that. Married women in your culture and time. Mm-hmm are 
have their heads covered, have them have their hair braided and done up underneath a head covering to signify that they are married and in a in like monogamous relationship. It's very much like our modern day wedding ring. It is. It's a hundred percent. So you would know if someone's married and committed in a relationship by the way they appeared. Yes. And in Rome, the appearance was women covered their heads with shawls or whatever, mm-hmm. and men would have short hair. Yes. Because uh, in their culture, if you're bald, you're wise. And remember, mm-hmm. the Greeks, it's wisdom, baby. Yes. And so if you have short hair, you're an older guy, and that's the glory of a man. Mm-hmm. And, remember, and we have to remember, too, Paul just said, I become all things to all people. Right. So he's not opposed to what the cultural norms are. And in terms of the hair for men, you have a Nazarite vow in the Bible where you grow your hair out. Right. Samson had long hair. So this is purely a Roman for this town, culture, at that time. At this time, long hair for men means you're trying to disorder, um, you're yeah, trying so, to do something else. So there's a couple of things showing up at this time that are actually showing up in our time, which was um, gender neutrality and like right now like women's rights within Rome yeah. were actually on the rise. Right. And so there was a thing going around that were called new women. Mm-hmm. And it's just probably actually a reference even to uh, the situation with their, their one congregant who's sleeping with his uh, right. mother or stepmother. She was probably considering herself a new woman. And so new women were, I'm not beholden to my husband. I can do whatever I want. I am powerful. And that language, because... The Christian language at that time was, you are made new in Christ. And you're free, yeah. And you're free. And so that was picking up within this church, and he's going, no, 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 stop. So it is exactly, it's very similar to our culture now in that um, men in this culture were allowed to visit prostitutes. Yes. It was like, okay. Now, that's never been okay for the Jewish folks. Yes. But remember, Greeks are worshiping Jesus now, yes. and so they're bringing this over. And so women are going, well, we're free too. So yes. maybe it's okay to visit prostitutes. And that's why Paul's like, no, sex is for marriage. It yes. not, it's not right for men or for women. And with this new freedom in Christ, it's not freedom from the order. Mm-hmm. Like you're under your husband, you're yes. with your husband, and he's under Christ, and Christ is under God. Like yeah. it's about maintaining the Christian order of things, and your appearance does matter. So if you're, like I imagine now that you said that thing about the, um, the, the stepmom. Yeah. Sleeping with her son, yeah. She probably had she had her head uncovered. Says I'm available. Right. That's what I'm. Yes. And um, and these are spiritual people. Uh-huh. It's all mixed. It's, so it's not like oh I'm not a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. I am a very spiritual person, and I'm available because now fertility is available to all. It's not mm-hmm. just in the temple. It's in our little house meetings. Mm-hmm. And so that's why Paul is going, please, please, oh God, don't do this. Yeah. And again, so this is not a, a necessarily a a proper form of worship. It's actually a conversation about, hey, don't confuse people within your culture that you are like them. And it's, remember his conversation in the previous chapters, it's about freedom and you're free, what you're free to do and not do. Yeah. And this is one where you are polluting the gospel and that's what we're free to do. Mm-hmm. We're free to present the gospel any means we can. And this is not promulgating the gospel. This right. is hurting the gospel right. and yourself. But I, I thought verse 10 in chapter 11, this is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Mm-hmm. That verse has boggled my mind my whole life. Like, what? Is this secret knowledge? But I realized he's saying, 
we all have a proper role mm-hmm. and order in under God's creation. And so as the angels are marked with, I don't know what the angels are wearing or how they're marked, but they are marked for God's service. Yes. So a woman is marked under her unity to her husband mm-hmm. to support him and love only him. And again, all this leads back to reinforcing that Christ has committed himself to you. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. not prostitutes. Um. And men, the same way, are confusing things by growing their hair, which is a statement in the Roman culture that you are uh, a different type of person. Where and, and you know, and when you read the history in the Roman culture at this time, um, there is a lot of uh, leeway for there's even even gen- some some things about pedophilia. Well, there's blurring of gender yeah. roles and everything, and so again, it's. He's like, stop confusing the clear boundaries that God has created for us. Well, and then what that's you, what we don't do here. And the boundaries actually are you're totally confusing. You're setting, you're breaking down all the wrong boundaries, and then you're setting up other boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that's why he goes into chapter, uh, the rest of the chapter 11 is about the Lord's Supper. Right. Now, funnily enough, if funnily is a word, uh, mm-hmm. he, they are setting up divisions. They're not being so free with their food with their uh, money, with their things, they're actually dividing at the most crucial point, the Lord's Supper. Right. And so this then, I mean, without getting into, again, these are like these day are lectures. Yeah. topics. We are not doing them complete justice, but we're giving you the highlights. Paul basically says, uh, what I'm hearing is you're dividing at the most pinnacle time of unity, which yes. is the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Quick backdrop, they're worshiping in their houses, so naturally the most wealthy members are hosting Sunday they, services. Because they have a giant house. They have, and their giant house could maybe fill, uh, according to historical reports, maybe 70 people at mm-hmm. most, but mostly like congregations of 50 people. Right. You can only fit like 20 in the main room, you know, and you're broken up. Um, and so when they're taking the Lord's Supper, the wealthy people are showing up. They have food. They're drinking all the wine. They're getting drunk because this is what you did in the temple. And then the poorer people are coming in later. And just like the customs of the world, mm-hmm. the poor people would be on the outer courts and there's not enough food for them, but they're poor or they're women or they're mm-hmm. slaves. And so while they've made great strides in going, oh, we're all one and new in Christ, they're also um, stuck in their culture yes, and to the detriment of Christ. And so he says where some of you are getting sick yeah, because you're um, coming to the Lord's Supper without any kind of faith. Right. And you're using it as an excuse to divide. Now... I don't know. Do you want to say something before? I have one more little thing about this. Maybe I'll just keep going here. Yeah, go for it. The If you think the Lord's Supper is just a memorial, right? and you're just that's, thinking, okay. that's like, oh, hey, re- remember Christ died, mm-hmm. then there's no possible way it could bring judgment because it's not doing anything, mm-hmm. right? So it wouldn't do anything good right. or bad. So just take it. But we believe that something, it's not, it's a transformative in the life of your life right now, when you take the Lord's Supper, something real happens right now. Mm-hmm. The assurance of forgiveness is received by authority of God through his broken body and blood, by the word of God, received with faith, but also orally. Like there's a unity of physical and spiritual. There's a unity mm-hmm. with Christ, with the angels, with those in heaven, the saints who have gone before us, and with the saints sitting around you. So if that's true and you enjoy that benefit, if you come to the Lord's Supper and you don't believe it and you're unrepentant, you're like, I don't really need forgiveness. I just want to party with these people. 
You're bringing judgment on yourself. Christ is not taking that. That's like uh, an act of violence against the body of Christ. Uh, okay, so it gets really clear. He, I mean, Paul gets really clear about this. Uh, he says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of Christ. Right. So he's connecting the two very strongly there. But then he goes even further. He says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, right. the body of who? Christ. Right. Uh, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So again... If you are going to this meal and you are not thinking this is, has anything to do with Christ and his body and his blood. And your need for forgiveness. And your need for forgiveness, then you are uh, bringing judgment on yourself. Right. And, and, and it's a lot like Solomon's like ifs and buts. Mm-hmm. If you do this, but if you forsake the Lord, don't, you yes. don't have the coverage and the protection. A lot more to say there. And then he breaks down the words, what we call the words of institution. Whenever you partake of the Lord's Supper, the pastor will uh, read these words, you know, do this in remembrance oh, yeah. of me. The cup is, um, well, it's all there. This is my body. Yes. He's quoting Christ who said, this is my body. Mm-hmm. We don't fully understand that all the time, but we take it. We believe this is the true body and blood of Christ. I mean, there's By a lot faith, of things we don't understand about yeah. God. And we... I don't understand how Jesus is all man and all God, yeah. but we believe it. We and believe so it. you come so. to this believing, and then the new covenant in his blood um, for the forgiveness of sins, do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. And then um, that's where he goes into the judgment. But that's just to let you know the words of institution reiterated by Paul in 1 Corinthians, but taken from Matthew uh, and Luke and from the Gospels. All right. All right. So now we jump into 12, which is another uh, a dividing, divisive conversation. It's about spiritual gifts. And again... Yeah. The Corinthians are super, like, they want spiritual status, and they want to know what gifts is better, and, and we want all the gifts, or we only want this gift. And he's going, okay, everyone calm down. <laughs> Take a moment, breathe, and let's break this down real quick. Yeah. I mean, okay, so let's just break it down for everybody. It, to me, it all makes sense um, when you go to verses like, uh, well, I have 26 written down the end of it. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Okay, so he's going, there's a lot of spiritual gifts, and they're great. Don't get me wrong. They're awesome. Don't think one is better than the other. In any, like, in the, in the same way that you wouldn't think a certain body part is more necessary or better than another. We need all of our parts. And all of these gifts and all, just like all the parts in our body are unified mm-hmm. and are there to uh, help keep us unified and help keep us healthy. And so we need all of these. So all these different gifts are actually for the purpose of unity. Yeah. Because if we were all just one gift, if we got hyper-focused on just one gift, it's like we only have one sense. Like right. we only have an eye. And we're missing out on everything else that the rest of the body has to offer. Yeah. He doesn't list every... We always try to find lists of spiritual gifts mm-hmm. and then figure out which we have. And that's not his point. That is not his point. All that's... of his mention of spiritual gifts, it's always a different list because there's countless parts to the body. Yes. And the main focus is we all drink of one spirit. We are all of one spirit. We are right. one body. And so we have to stop thinking individually 
and think corporately when we are the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. We are the bride of Christ. And you just made me think, though, um, my daughter, there was a season where she painted her fingernails mm-hmm. and like really intricately. She looked up things on Instagram, pictures and tutorials on YouTube. It was all about fingernails. And I think naturally with spiritual gifts, we go through seasons where it's all about toning our muscles. It's mm-hmm. all about getting tan. It's all about, oh, our eyes, we need glasses. It's all about, oh, I can't hear. It's all about, And it's okay to have seasons where certain parts of the body need care and attention. Yes. But the point is your toenails, if it's ingrown, it's going to affect the whole body. Right. And if your hair looks great, your whole body is great. Like, yeah. there is no part more or less important. And that's where if one part suffers, the whole body suffers. Yeah. And this is the miracle of Christ, that he can actually create a groups of people based on the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ that can operate as one, like some beautiful marching band. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work or an orchestra or anything that's beautiful and wonderfully organized. You need a piccolo player. You need a tuba player. You need the guy who hits the triangle. Ding! And maybe doesn't even play in most songs. Right. And so if that guy's like, I want more triangle solos, it's going to hurt the whole orchestra. <laughs> yes. Because Beethoven didn't put a lot of triangles in this one. But we need you, man, your percussion. Right. So that's the point there. And um, that's the quick, we're one body, one members. And ultimately, I'm asking God more and more as I get older to, to realize and walk into the seriousness of our unity. With one another. Not just me and Christ, but me and the people of Christ. And the church, yeah. All right, today I will read Psalm chapter 98. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King and the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Boom, you've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.